Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Everybody, welcome into, I guess, some version of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. A little bit of an issue in the studio today, so we're just going to make the best of it and do what we can. Uh, really unfortunate. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. George makes a big coaching hire on Sunday, bringing in Brian McLennan as wide receivers coach. We were on with a little bit of a version of Cover 4 yesterday to kind of break some of that down, but obviously I had big plans for the show today to kind of get more in-depth into the McClendon situation. We'll do some version of that, but not the thing we'd planned on doing. Uh, either way, I'll just go ahead and warn you, I'm in an awful mood. So uh, we're going to make the best of this situation, but just go ahead and uh, I guess – be ready for a slightly edgier version of, of BA than you might normally get. But uh, nonetheless, it is a uh, interesting day for Georgia as one of its two open coaching positions has now been filled with Brian McClendon. So in some version of our studio and some version of our conversation uh, here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I want to go ahead and get ready to bring on John Stinchcomb here. Normally kind of a classic city logger insider update, but we'll forego all the pageantry here and just get ready to talk to uh, John uh, straight up uh, here this morning about all of this. Uh, John, welcome into the program. I uh, appreciate you uh, being here. And obviously, uh, I'm assuming that uh, Brian McClendon, some of you, you know pretty well here. So what do you make of the addition to uh, McClendon back on this Georgia staff after the uh, success that he recently had here or you know previously had here as an assistant and where his career is now? Uh, first of all, good morning and thanks for being flexible with us. But what do you make of the addition to McClendon here on this coaching staff? Well, B.A., first, let me give you a lot of things to be excited about. I know you're dealing with some technical difficulty on your end, but we're still in the same month where Georgia just won a national championship. I think it's the last day we'll be able to say that until next year. So That's a good point. Uh, let's revel in it, and uh, we're ending the month on a high note. I know much was being made about, you know, possibly Heinz Ward or Terrence Edwards, even, who, you know, is a dog nation guy, um, possibly being the new receivers coach. And with the addition of McClendon, it's a former dog who's who knows the position well. And uh, it was a name that probably wasn't at the forefront of a lot of folks' minds just because of his uh, recent being recently being named co-offensive coordinator and uh, the opportunities that that he was pursuing elsewhere. So to get him back in the fold, I think Coach McClendon not only was a great coach when we had him. I mean, the last time we saw him as Georgia fans, he was the interim head coach and leading the dogs into a, a bowl game. So now that he's back and having the experience that he's had, um, what, what a great hire for this team. Uh, his ability to recruit, um, has, has been lauded for a number of years, but also the experience that he's got uh, at coordinating and, and developing wide receivers once they come to campus, I think is a huge feather in the cap of Georgia and expanding an already talented staff. Uh, you know, what, what I can't wait to see and what I think is, uh, is most noteworthy is how, how much in, uh, are we spending on, on a coaching staff? Because it seems to be uh, an already all-star cast that continues to expand and add great additions, and Brian McClendon is the latest. Steve Hyland in our comment section brings this up. John doing a very good job of 
you know, kind of bringing it back to where it needs to be. And I didn't even really think about this, but uh, it's a really good point. This is my last day to be in the month in which Georgia won its national championship. Of course, I still wear the scarf each and every day, uh, you know, going back to that national championship. But but after to, after today, when we show up tomorrow, we have something to show up to. But when we show up tomorrow, uh, it will no longer be the month in which UGA won the national championship. So, John, uh, thank you for finding a way to spin it positive and keep it good and uh, keep it happy. Every now and then I need a little bit of that in my life, so I certainly appreciate you being able to do that. I'm here for you, B.A. It's, uh, it's always great to be a dog, but same month, national championship, that's a good thing. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, you know, on the subject of it, you may bring up, you know, other names we heard for this job, the Heinz Wards, the the Terrence Edwards. I make no bones about this. You know, I love Terrence, and I'd love to see Terrence get a job like this sometime in the future. It sounds like that's something that he would, you know, like to do and hopefully get a chance to do that. I don't know Heinz Ward personally the way that I know Terrence, but I've got great respect for him there as well. And I know years ago I had a conversation with Heinz where he made it very clear that he did also want to be wide receivers coach at a place like Georgia. When Ward said that years ago, he had no experience. Now, as a coach, he has some experience. But, John, I feel pretty comfortable saying that, you know, given the need that Georgia has at the wide receiver coaching spot, this is the one position group that from a maybe a talent standpoint, but certainly from a performance standpoint, probably lags behind some of the other position groups a, a bit. A coach of the limited experience of Heinz Ward, that may be a level of experimentation that Georgia's just not – you know, it doesn't have the luxury of doing right now that someone like McClendon, who is a bit more of a sure thing, has a history of being a good recruiter, has a history of being an effective, valuable assistant at a number of spots previously UGA. That resume, in my mind, is just a lot more commensurate with what Georgia needs right now than what Heinz Ward would be. Honestly, McClendon's kind of an upwardly mobile dude. He could be looking for his you know next job within a couple of years, and maybe at that point in time, someone like a Heinz Ward's more of a consideration, or possibly a Terrence Edwards there as well. But it certainly seems like Georgia, knowing it has a need at wide receiver, seemed to want to turn to someone who perhaps is a little bit more of a sure thing, which is what I think you can say that uh, Brian McClendon probably is. Yeah, and, and listen, the the ask of an assistant coach is so much broader than just know your position group well and be able to coach them to play that position at a high level. I, I, I think what fans need to understand is, yeah, I, I could not agree more. Is there anyone better qualified in teaching a wide receiver the ins and outs of a position than Heinz Ward or Terrence Edwards? No, absolutely not. Both super highly successful on a personal level and have continued to share that knowledge of the position um, and what they do. I mean, Terrence is a guy who in the, in the local area has developed players, not only who have gone to Georgia, but to other schools. And, and you see the, the work that he's done with them and they commend him on it. Um, that's a big piece of what the ask is, but it's not a complete picture. And when you're looking at uh, proven quantities and, and proven commodities, uh, McClendon has been a guy who's been in the fold at a high level at uh, not only developing talent, but recruiting them, the, the ask of, of formulating a game plan and being a part of those discussions on a week-in, week-out basis during the season, that's a big piece. It's not just, and hear me say, you know, as, as I've transitioned and as a number of other players have transitioned away from playing the game, uh, it's a draw to want to convey that knowledge of yeah. the position to the, to the next generation, if you will. Uh, 
But as an assistant coach at, at a collegiate level, especially at the level that Georgia is playing at, it's a nonstop 365 job, and it's not just developing your position group. So much more goes into it. Obviously, recruiting is a big factor, but in, in game planning, in uh, just the development of, of your entire offense and what that picture looks like, McClendon's a guy who's been in those conversations for years, and I think that experience is, is why he's more than qualified. I, I'm surprised that he's willing to step back into that position uh, position coach role and not continue to progress because he's been a guy that you think offensive coordinator, possibly in discussion for a head coach job, uh, would be more on the track that he was heading. It's a huge hire for Georgia because he's willing to, to step in the role that he's taking on in Athens. So uh, good to see Terrence Edwards, by the way, in the comment section, or at least I see people responding to him. So Terrence must be in there. And one of the things I thought was really cool on Thursday's show was we talked to Terrence and you know, a lot of Georgia fans, including myself, kind of really touted him, you know, for a job like this. And Terrence certainly appreciates that and, you know, admitted his own personal ambitions there, but also said that he considers uh, Brian McClendon a good friend. He'd be very supportive of him. And he's obviously already been good to add his word on that. And that's been a really good thing to see. John, let me talk to you also for a moment about the specific challenge that awaits McClendon because, you know, Georgia recruits most position groups at such a high level that almost, you know, it'd be very easy for something somewhere to, to pale in comparison. And at Georgia, the, the level of success at the wide receiver spot in terms of the kinds of recruits that Georgia's brought in, the kind of maybe even on-field results when you look at some of the NFL draft stuff, you know, maybe that's an example of that, uh, of maybe leaving something to be desired. You know, Cortez Hankton had some recruiting wins, four top 10 receivers. I believe it's a total of five top 100 recruits. You know, you want to go back and look at Blaylock and Pickens from the 2019 class and then uh, Burton and Rosemary Jack Saint and Arian Smith from the 2020 class. But in other places, Georgia, other position groups, Georgia stacking those five stars over and over again. Jeff Sintel had an interesting article at dognation.com yesterday where some five-star receivers that are not going to be at Georgia here for the 2022 class. Talked a little bit about why that not the case. They mentioned the usage rate and things like that, that for McClendon, who does have a history of recruiting elite talent, stepping into the wide receiver situation in Georgia, even though Georgia's the reigning national champion, and we don't gloss over that, but as reigning national champion, this is a wide receiver position at UGA that's probably dealing with a little bit of branding challenge, is it not? Well, possibly, but I think you just listed five names of some big-time recruits at, at that position that were willing to um, go all in at Georgia. And, you, know, you lose Jermaine Burton, and obviously you know, the, the spotlight goes back on this position group, and Hankton moves on to LSU, um, and you're looking at possibly being one recruiting cycle removed from some of these bigger names. With that said, uh, I, I remember the jubilation of getting George Pickens to flip right there at the, at the closing line when he was the, one of the top recruits and the big addition that he was to that recruiting class. So I don't think that every year you're going to hit on every five-star at a position group, um, but it, it's certainly been part of that conversation. I think one of the biggest reasons why this becomes the spotlight is because of Jermaine Burton switching you know, switching from national championship teams from the victor to the, the the loser in that scenario, and you look at it and you're going, why? Is it because of uh, you know 
Alabama throws the ball 10, 12 times on average more than Georgia does? Can he pad his stats and it look better at the end of the season on a personal level? Maybe. Maybe that is the reason. But I think another one of the factors in recruiting uh, some of the best receivers in the game is to make sure that you're, you're having the top quarterbacks across the nation come to your program. And Georgia has that. I mean, Gunnar Stockton this year and years past, Carson Beck and Vandergriff, they've continued to be able to recruit quarterbacks that want to put up the gaudier numbers. Now, Stetson Bennett is the anomaly in that group, and he still mm-hmm. still is the, the front runner and leader in this horse race uh, for this 2022 season just because he just won a national championship. And well, as well, he should be the front, the front runner and leader in the pack. But I, I think when you're talking about receivers, yes, they want to be drawn to uh, the possibility for big numbers and making big plays, but they want to be a part of a winner. Georgia offers that. They want to be a part of a program that's able to recruit quarterbacks that can get them the ball. Georgia has that. that that's two of the main factors for any wide receiver when they're looking at programs that they want to be a part of. A couple more issues I want to deal with uh, very quickly, by the way. This is kind of a makeshift version of our classic City Logger Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. For those of you who are just joining us in video, we were late getting started today. Had an issue with our audio board and studios, so we're just trying to make the best of it and at least get something here on the air for you. And uh, appreciate y- y'all being here with us and allowing us to at least present some sort of conversation for you, even if it's not the, the typical conversation we would do. But a- another story that pops up, and this had long been rumored to happen, and now it is official, Mike Bobo now on uh, Georgia staff once again, this time as an analyst. Uh, you know, Auburn offensive coordinator this past season, South Carolina offensive coordinator before that, Colorado State head coach before that previously. Offense coordinator at UGA final season 2014. So the resume there's fully established when it when it comes to all of that. John, this is one of those things where I think it, it's all good. There's there's nothing bad about it. I think one of the things that keeps the rich getting richer in college football, the strong being, being remaining strong, is the presence of those off-field analysts. Everybody gets 10 assistant coaches, that's by rule, but outside the boundaries of that, you can kind of be whatever you want to be when it comes to your sports staff, your analysts, quality control types. And, you know, to have someone that's got the experience of Bobo now being able to pitch in in that role, a little bit like what a Jay Johnson would have been able to do before, or, you know, what Will Muschamp was supposed to have been doing defensively before he was deputized back into duty. I think this is a pretty big ad for, for, for Georgia here and having someone of this level of experience, forget the fact that he's a favorite son, but having someone of this level of experience for UGA, I think, is a really good thing. Well, the, you said it. Rich, get richer, because Coach Bobo has been successful yeah, at Georgia. I mean, you look back to, to when he was the offensive coordinator before he's, he goes out to Colorado State and, and uh, tries his hand at being a head coach. The consistency that Georgia was having offensively to put up gaudy numbers uh, was pretty impressive. And even even the critics at the time were, were complaining about Bobo uh, not being able to put up numbers. And, and you look at the statistics when he was OC, what a those were anomalies. Those were some of the best years Georgia's had offensively. So to have him back in the fold, I think it's huge. I think you look at uh, the ability for Georgia to, to add pieces, not only in the 10 uh, on-field coaches, but Muschamp is a great example of just having them in the building. You don't know where the opportunities are going to present themselves. You don't know when 
uh, some sort of change will occur where you need somebody to step in. And uh, I think when you saw Coach Muschamp willing to be a part of a winner, he wants to be a part of uh, this Georgia program. It's very similar to what we're seeing with Coach Bobo, who's saying, this is a great opportunity. It, it may not be high in, in stature, uh, but just to be a part of this program and know that he has a voice, I think is huge. I think it speaks to the level that Georgia has ascended, and you're able to draw some of these bigger names to take on these roles. Coach Bobo probably had other opportunities. Coach McClendon did have offer other opportunities, and they want to be a part of a winning program. It, being a national championship does not just attract good players. It att attracts good coaches, and, and we're seeing that at the various opportunities that, and roles that are being filled already. And, you know, I'm looking at these comments, and I'd love to see Terrence Edwards a part of the staff in some capacity as well. And, yeah. you know, maybe it's, it starts off as those quality control positions, mm -hmm. and you never know where those go. So next year on the Georgia football facility – we're going to have about a hundred or so guys and about three different last names, right? There's multiple Bobos. There's going to be multiple McClendons. There's going to be multiple Muschamps. It's kind of interesting to see what a family affair Georgia football has become with both Drew Bob, Mike Bobo being there, several Muschamps. You got uh, obviously Warren McClendon on the offensive line, Brian McClendon there, now back in the coaching staff. Nice to see so much Georgia legacy and, and multiple generations of these Georgia tie-ins back in the Georgia staff. Uh, I think that's a, a, a pretty – a pretty cool thing, especially for someone like you who also shares a last name with another guy that's kind of tied to Georgia history. We like keeping it in the family when we possibly can, John. Isn't that great? I mean, I, I love it. I, obviously, when I was coming in, it was Terrence, myself, and Boss Bailey, and we all right. had brothers on the team. So it was, yep. you know, Robert and Champ and Matt, and uh, McClendon's another one of those names that uh, it's been generational. And Tereshinsky's oh, yeah. and Frick's and you know, I, I think it speaks to the, the culture that's being created, that has been created in Athens, that you want to be a part of it. When you see family, you know, it's not always the case. There are times where it's just there's a better opportunity and you don't want to force it on a kid or, or, or a sibling or a family member where it might be a better fit elsewhere. But I think it's really cool when you see multi-generations and, and multi-members of a family uh, that want to be a part of the same program because it, it means it was special and beneficial to, to other members. And you see that opportunity uh, as being very similar for yourself. So I think it's really cool. Let me finish this one thing, John. I appreciate your time here today. Um, I know, and you and I've talked about this plenty before that you really feel like one of the special things that you got a chance to do in your football career was win a, a Super Bowl. That's the kind of thing that just puts you on a stage that, that nothing else in the sport really rivals. And, Yesterday, we saw, you know, we, we knew one way or another is that some former dogs are going to be in the Super Bowl. Now we know who it is. Obviously, Trey Hill from the Cincinnati Bengals and a very, if you talk about Southern accent, that uh, that LA Rams team, they definitely have some of that. Obviously, Matthew Stafford, I think, would probably be most prominent in this discussion. Um, you know, as someone who's traveled this past, path yourself, what do you think about, you know, Stafford and others who get a chance now to go ahead and fulfill that dream for, for themselves? How special do you think it is for them? Oh, I think it's huge, especially for Stafford and the, and the path that he's been on. You know, he uh, having been in Detroit for as long as he was and the face of that organization and 
you know, I, I think he took a, a beating both in the media and physically um, that he just absorbed for the team for, for a number of years. And to see him have this opportunity, um, I think it's special. And I think it, uh, for all dog fans in the dog nation, we're proud of them. And we're proud for, of, of all of our guys when they get the opportunity to, to reach the pinnacle of their professional career and, He's on the doorstep, and, and, and a number of guys are. Leonard Floyd on the other side has been a, a, a key contributor uh, for this Rams team, and, and you're excited for uh, the dogs to be well-represented again. I think the streak continues. Not sure what, what the number is uh, of, of years in a row where Georgia's been represented in the Super Bowl, but it's really cool, and, and we continue to put players in the NFL, and that streak will continue. But uh, to see some of our own, uh, continue to excel and have the opportunities to be a part of something that was really special. And, you know, I, having lifted the trophy on the field and seen the confetti fall on you, it's a great experience that you want for all your brothers. Do you know Matthew Stafford personally very well at all? Because I, I got to think it's got to be, you know, an interesting life for him in that, I mean, he was well famous before he ever signed at Georgia, you know, kind of the internet recruiting era was still fairly I don't want to say it was new it had been around for a while but it's not it wasn't then like it is now when he came to Georgia's part of the class 2006 and has all these expectations for the most part he fulfills them in that he was the number one overall draft pick seems to be stuck in Detroit for a long time where you I mean just hard to win there I mean as as a lot of folks have found out over the years now finally gets a chance to be in a Sean McVay offense get to the Super Bowl I think he's been you know heavily embraced by the LA community. I don't want to make this whole story about Stafford because I mean, Thomas Brown's the coaching staff for goodness sakes. There's a lot of, you know, Georgia ties there, but uh, you know, being the, the Prince that was promised at quarterback the way that Stafford has for such a long time and finally getting a chance to taste the Super Bowl that we expect big time quarterbacks like that to get to. I'm sure it's been an interesting life for Matthew. Oh, it's, it's I don't know him. Well, have we, met and talked a couple times yes i wouldn't you know do we know each other no uh not to a to the level that i've known some other guys that have come you know through the georgia ranks but you know he was one of the big recruits and he you know you talk about that last year and i think that was the one of the last times pre kirby smart era where georgia comes into the season as the number one ranked team and mm -hmm. you know it was stafford and, and moreno and you think man this is a loaded roster um, and he's always had the talent. You, you, you've watched him play. You saw the highlights when he was coming out of high school in Texas, and you're going, this guy can sling the rock, and did the same thing in Athens. And, you know, at times, despite not having a great cast around him, would carry that entire team in, into some otherwise games that should not have been close. So I think just waiting for that opportunity and thinking that, you know, sometimes it just never happens for him to be. Uh, in a situation where you have a, a coach McVay that gets guys in the right spot and, and, and a supporting cast around him where Cooper Cup had one of the best years for any receiver in the history of, of NFL football, and he was a relative unknown uh, in addition to OBJ and you know the, that entire roster of guys. Um, I think it's just it's he, it was a matter of time whether or not if he'd had that opportunity to be surrounded by a supporting cast that he could really show his talents and now you see when you, you put the pieces around him what they're capable of and he's on the verge of a, a, a Super Bowl championship so it's huge.
John, I really appreciate your time. And I know it's a little bit different than what we normally do here, but uh, your flexibility, certainly appreciate that. Always a fun conversation on a number of fronts. So I hope you have a great week and we'll look forward to uh, getting a chance to chat with you again very soon. Always, B.A. It's good times. Go dogs. Yes, sir, John. Thanks so much for your time. And this is Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. For those of you just joining us, so something happened in the studio today. Still don't quite know what. Audio board wasn't really working. We don't have audio. We really can't do the show. So we scrambled a couple different ways. And, you know, finally you're able to at least put something out here on the screen for you. So we're pretty casual, pretty laid back. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously not what you want, but uh, obviously you just kind of make the best of it. By the way, appreciate Palo Window and Door of George for making it all possible, as they all always do. You know, energy-efficient windows and doors important when the – I mean, it's cold this weekend. It was really crazy Friday night. So I'm uh, sitting at home, and you look out the window late, you know, 11 p.m., something like that. You start seeing snow coming. It's really snowing pretty good. And obviously, you know, you got the heat cranked up. You get the fire in the fireplace. You get all that kind of stuff to – be going on um and obviously you want to keep that on the inside you don't want that stuff because expensive it's expensive to you know gas fireplace or uh, heating system things like that it's expensive right now you want to do everything you can to keep that energy on the inside of your house where it's supposed to go and that's what pella window and door of george can do for you they also can give you a free no pressure consultation expert advice from one of the folks that that knows about the product and why pella window is so beloved atlanta homeowners uh, have, have really, you know, kind of named this as the most preferred window brand uh, for the entire year. And, uh, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, surveys, things like that, that continue to repeatedly demonstrate just how beloved the Pella product is, Pella windows and doors. So great savings, too. Between now, April 21st, you're going to get 50% off qualifying installations. You love that. Uh, so make sure you check them out. PellaofGA.com slash Dog Nation. That's the website. PellaofGA.com slash uh dog nation or you can give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 so let me do this let me just do a few thoughts on the mcclendon thing of my own here and then i want to just take some of your comments and we'll just be generally pretty casual all the way around here we'll just kind of combine rs andrews cool down and regular show and just try to put a bow on this and come back and do it again tomorrow maybe so I, I do feel like that Brian McClendon, the new wide receivers coach of Georgia, faces a pretty significant challenge. Now, let me say this in full context. Obviously, Georgia's the reigning national champion, that whatever for the good or the bad that may be going on with the Georgia wide receiver situation, it did not prevent Georgia from winning the national championship. That's got to be reminded in discussions like this, especially when it seems like there's a little bit of a fixation with pretty wide receiver play, uh, you know, that kind of flashy Instagram highlight type brand of football. People seem to have a fixation with that sometimes. So it's important to remind folks that whatever Georgia isn't at wide receiver, it did not stop it from being national champions. However, even when I say that, that doesn't mean, though, that Georgia doesn't want to be as good at every position group as it possibly can be, wide receiver included. And if you look at the overall level of draft success or on-field production or whatever else, it is just a fact that Georgia probably lags at wide receiver in comparison to the other position groups. And in some respects, Cortez Hankton's tenure at Georgia actually raised the level of UGA wide receiver recruiting. We've given him credit for that a, a number of times. But a little bit more consistent version of recruiting at the wide receiver position to match what's going on other places, I, I do think that's going to be really important. And that may be one of the reasons why Georgia has turned to an experienced name like McClendon 
in order to be able to get that done. But as I mentioned to John, and John seemed to to, to not fully buy into this as much as I do, but but nonetheless, I think that Georgia faces a little bit of a branding issue on this. I saw Jeffson tell story dognation.com uh, yesterday where he talked to going back to the all-star season, guys like Evan McPherson, uh, Evan McPherson, excuse me, guys like Evan Stewart, guys like Luther Burden, Andre Green Jr. about, you know, what they felt about Georgia. They clearly were considering Georgia at one point, but ultimately Georgia finished either second or third in their recruitment. They were comfortable going somewhere else. And I think when you listen to a lot of what's said there, I don't find it to be alarming. You know, I don't probably read as much into it as some people maybe do, but it does kind of speak to the the, the way in which the Georgia receiver spot might be perceived by the kinds of recruits you want to win with. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. I'm going to show you a quote here. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to read it to you from uh, uh, Evan Stewart. Yeah, this is a five-star wide receiver, Evan Stewart. Let me just read this to you. This is from the story at Jeff Sintel. Okay, we do have this in screen. So he says, uh, wide receivers want to see production. You're not going to go uh, nowhere if they don't produce. It's really not even a must production-wise. And he says, it, I think he means it is a must. If you can just see what you can do in the offense, then it helps. When you watch the offense and you know that you're not going to fit in it, you just don't get excited and you look elsewhere. That's Evan Stewart talking about some of the, the reasons why he did not choose Georgia. Now, here's one of the reasons why I don't get overly fixated on what Evan Stewart says there. He's going to Texas a and <laughs> And whatever issues Georgia has had at the wide receiver spot, Texas A&M has had the same kind of issues. In fact, I would say that Georgia is probably a little bit more prolific in the passing game than what Texas A&M has been. And I say that as somebody who thinks of Jimbo Fisher as a pretty good uh, pretty good, you know, coach, certainly a history of tutoring quarterbacks and and, you know, track record speaks for itself. But when it comes to producing offensive football at AM, and m that really hasn't happened yet. The success that he's enjoyed on the field to the extent any of it's occurred has been mostly because of the Mike L. Oko defense and mostly because of what's happened on both lines of scrimmage. A&M's run the ball pretty well. They have a lot of two-back sets, things like that. But they haven't thrown the ball very well at all. So when someone like Evan Stewart, even though this is, you know, an accurate quote of him, when someone like Stewart says this, frankly, I'm not going to freak out about that too much because – there's a, just an illogical nature to his decision-making. Well, all this stuff is true of Georgia. That's why I didn't go there. And yet I'm going to go to a place like Texas A&M where the challenges related to throwing the football are at least as present, if not more so. Uh, that just doesn't seem to, to make very much sense to me. I'm just not going to worry about that too much. Same thing for a guy like Luther Burden in that same story with Jeff Sintel, who seemed to take issue with the fact that Brock Bowers got so many touches and got, had so much success at UGA. But as we said before, the reason why Brock Bowers got so many touches, the reason why Brock Bowers put up so many numbers is because that's how good he is. Uh, Todd Munkin realized before the season even began that they had something special in Bowers. That's why he was mentioning Bowers unprompted during his preseason press conference that took place right there, kind of the start of the summer practices, you know, way back there in what, July, August, whenever it was that the uh, conversation took place, I guess it would have been early August. Way back when that took place, he was bringing up Bowers unprompted because he knew he had something special. So why do they keep feeding Bowers over and over again? Because Bowers was that good. So if Luther Burden says, I can't go to a place that features the tight end this much, trust me when I tell you, if Luther Burden was as good as Brock Bowers, he'll get every bit those same level of touches. And if it comes down to a choice of who do I want in my program, the promise of what Luther Burden might be or the 
the actual tangible proof of what Brock Bowers is, that's not a difficult choice for me. Bowers, I believe, is clearly a better player because most people are simply not going to be able to match what he did statistically. So I don't even really freak out about what uh, Luther Burden said in the Dog Nation story. As interesting the story was, I take some of the quotes from those receivers with a bit of a grain of salt. However, the overall track record does kind of speak for itself. I see uh, Kamel mentioned this in the comment section. He says, we need to create a thousand yard wide receiver so elite receivers want to come here. That's the part I do kind of agree with that. Even if you can kind of squabble a bit with what Burden or Stewart says about why they didn't come to Georgia, the fact that guys like this have continuously not come to Georgia does speak volumes. It is a lack of statistical success. Terrence Edwards was in our comment section a little earlier, the only thousand yard wide receiver in the history of the program. Uh, you know, long drought of first round wide receivers. I don't think Georgia's had a first round wide receiver since AJ Green. And what's horrifying is I think the wide receiver draft in the first round prior to that may have been Lindsey Scott. Is that true? Am I am I missing something here? Um, that that when you talk about first round receivers, just in the last 40, 50 years of Georgia football, there just haven't been a, a ton of them. And over the course of time, that just becomes the way the program gets branded in the eyes of, of, of future recruits. Georgia is kind of known as our RBU. Brian McClendon's time working here in the past is one of the things that helps cement that status. Bringing it into the, the current contemporary age, McClendon, I think, takes a lot of credit for that, for the work that he did as a recruiter. But the way in which Georgia is kind of thought of as a sexy brand for running backs and obviously great defensive players in the Kirby Smart era, that's not quite what the wide receiver position has going for it right now which speaks to the challenge awaiting McClendon. Now, there's also some evidence to suggest that this is going to really pay off here. I saw where Brandon Ennis, a lot of you know Ennis as a top receiver of the class of 2023. He went on Twitter yesterday right after the McClendon hire to express some surprise saying, wait, what? Uh, yeah, there you go. Wait, what? Coach BMAC just went to UGA and kind of gives you the emoji that suggests the mind's blown or something like that. And so that does speak to the fact that McClendon does have cachet with elite receivers. He does have cachet with these kinds of players, but he steps into a position group where the brand is just not as fully filled out, where you do have to explain to folks how you're going to be used. Now, there's another thing where you kind of go back to tight end position here for a moment, because at one point in time, Let's talk about recruiting Eric Gilbert for the class. Uh, was it 2020? Is that the class he was in? Class of 2020. Let's talk about recruiting Eric Gilbert, where you know you're you're going to him and you're saying, "Hey, we haven't used tight ends like you before, but when you come to a place like this, we're going to start using you." It's one of those things of don't look at what we've done, listen to what I'm saying, and ultimately, it, it's actually the the picture you see in your mind. It's worth more than any kind of words or so. A guy like Todd Hartley, as good a recruiter as he's in as he is, was in a pretty difficult position trying to recruit a guy like Gilbert back then because you had to say, I realize we haven't done this kind of thing in the past, but we haven't had a player as good as you. So if you come here, we'll use you. And for someone like Gilbert, he just wasn't buying that. Jaden Hazelwood just kind of wasn't buying that around that same time. They just weren't They just weren't buying the idea that, that Georgia wasn't doing the kinds of things that those players wanted it to because it hadn't, hadn't had those kinds of players. But then lo and behold, a guy like Brock Bowers comes along. And Bowers, all of a sudden, now he does become proof of concept. He does become a spec that you can show to. And I've talked to Oscar Delp about this. Uh, you know, Delp openly admits that the thing that ultimately swayed him towards George, even though George was always a strong consideration for him, uh, the thing that ultimately swayed 
dealt towards Georgia was is that all of a sudden he didn't have to use his imagination anymore. You got to watch those HGTV shows, things like that, where they're going to do big home remodel. And, you know, they're always asking that homeowner before the, the work takes place to picture in your mind what this might look like. And it's just very hard for people to do that. And maybe it's hard for recruits to do that too. And so, you know, for the previous generation of great tight ends, they just could not get an accurate picture in their mind of what the Georgia offense could look like with them at the center of it. For a guy like Delp, he says, I didn't have to use my imagination. I simply looked at a guy who physically somewhat looks a little bit like me and saw the level of production that he was, you know, putting forth. And all of a sudden now I can comfortably say, if I go to Georgia, I will be used that way. The recruiting work became very much easier. And the wide receiver track record can eventually play out the same way. But you got to find a couple of guys who want to be first through the door. You got to find a couple of guys who want to become that proof of concept for the next generation the way that Brock Bowers did. And that means that you can recruit some guys to do that, or you can take some guys who are already here because that's a part of the equation as well. Once again, something you have to give Cortez Hankton a, a little bit of credit for was the way in which he got a lot out of someone like Lad McConkey. That's the kind of person that maybe as a recruit, I don't want to lie here. I, maybe I probably just disregarded a bit. Oh, too small, too whatever. You know, not 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 much to consider. Cortez Hankton got something out of him. A.D. Mitchell, a little bit of an unusual background story. Didn't, you know, play prior to coming to UJ the previous year. And you're really not quite sure what you had in A.D. Mitchell. And yet look what his freshman season became. Credit to Cortez Hankton for doing that. And now Brian McClendon in this role is going to have his chance to develop much the same way. You can bring new guys into the program, but you can also get more out of the guys you've had in the program, whether that be the the unheralded guys who've proven to be better than we would have ever expected, or those former four stars still lingering who are ready for the possibility of a breakout season, a healthier Dominic Blaylock, a one final year of Kiaris Jackson, uh, Marcus Roseme Jackson, healthier now than maybe he has been. Obviously, plenty of accolades in his past. Arian Smith, healthier now than he has been, clearly bringing the element of speed that, that other Georgia receivers don't necessarily have uh, all of that at the disposal for Brian McClendon. So all of a sudden McClendon now gets to do that work of rebranding the wide receiver position at UGA the same way that defensive back and linebacker and offensive line, running back, tight ends, these position groups have all become the kind of spots where Georgia looks like the place to be, the kind of place where you can come in and, and, and surround yourself with other great talent and emulate previous great talent at that position Maybe soon wide receiver will, will kind of be the same thing. Obviously, McClendon hired with all of that in mind and can't wait to see the work that he does to, to bring all that together. So if you're just joining us you know, on video here, a little bit different kind of version of our show with uh, technical difficulties, whatever else. So we're just kind of rolling through, making the best of it. Let me just do kind of a quick, I guess I'll do an SEC through here. Obviously, Royal Caribbean, uh, great to uh, have them with us as always. Looking forward to being on a Royal Caribbean ship myself here coming up. Very soon. Excited about that. Cruise and Vacation Authority, who we want you encouraged to book with. Uh, you can check them out online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or you can call them 770-952-8300, 770-952-8300, Royal Caribbean, uh, the place to go on all of that. Onboard excitement. Uh, the show's unbelievable. Broadway-style productions, the Aqua Theater uh, on some of the ships that has the high dive shows, the ice skating shows. Uh it's just all uh, really incredible. You can see 
Greece. You can see all kinds of Broadway productions. Just a really, really fun thing to be a part of. So Royal Caribbean, uh, just a, a really, really fun experience. I can't wait to be on ships. Can't wait to to hopefully be with some of you on some ships here coming up. It's just going to be a, a great time. So check them out, tcava.com. That's the website for the Cruise and Vacation Authority. That's who we encourage you to uh to reach out to, to help book your Royal Caribbean cruise. You can also give them a call 770-952-8300. I'll tell you this. I was on the phone with uh, David from uh, Cruise and Vacation Authority the other day. I had a couple of questions about a Royal Caribbean cruise. He had great information for me, easy answers, uh, just really a lot of uh, in-depth knowledge there that I found to be very, very enjoyable. So please make sure you check out all of that. Uh, so let's do a couple of things here. Uh, the Brian Kelly thing was out there. I don't think we have this video for you, but we will show you that maybe tomorrow on the Kelly thing. Uh, really just pretty funny. I have some thoughts and then I'll wait and show that to you tomorrow. We're going to do that today. Let me instead talk more about this. And uh, Raphael Wright brought this up in the comment section. There is something really weird going on at all. And we've talked to you about this now for a while. And I think the point that we keep bringing up is it's amazing how little attention this seems to be getting. That Auburn as a program, we're only five years removed from Auburn winning the SEC West. They were very much a contender for the college ball playoff back in 2017. Played for a national title as recently as 2013. That's less than 10 years ago. Won a national championship less than 15 years ago. That this is a uh, – wait, that's not right. Yeah, no, if you have 15 years ago, less than 15 years ago. This is a program that at one point in time was very much in the upper crust of the SEC, very much in the upper crust of college football. My gosh, in the aftermath of Gus Malzahn being ousted, and he's now at UCF, it just seems like there's a failure to launch the Brian Harson administration. And I don't think you look any further than the issue with coordinators. Obviously, the Mike Bobo thing didn't last very long. But then the Derek Mason departure, that, that the coordinators that you brought in, because remember, Malzahn is a, uh, should say, Harson is a very tough sell to SEC fans because he's such an SEC outsider. And so part of the way you make that a little bit more palatable to the Auburn audience is you say, well, he's an outsider, but he's got Mike Bobo's offensive coordinator track record of success. Derek Mason is defensive coordinator track record in the SEC and also a successful coordinator prior to that at Stanford before becoming Vanderbilt head coach. So the presence of Mason and Bobo allowed the sell of Harson to be a little easier for the Auburn administration. But then a year later, Bobo's out. The coordinator coming in is Austin Davis. That's a guy that nobody knows. Uh, Mason is out. The coordinator that's taking his place is it. Not Schmeling. What's the guy's name? Or whatever it is. Nobody really knows who he is either. And suddenly it feels like for a lot of Auburn fans, we've been sold a bill of goods. That's what Auburn fans you know, might be saying there. Then lo and behold, it looks like Austin Davis is potentially now out as well. And it's amazing, at least as of this morning, when I was reading about this uh, you know, for the last time before coming on and you know, getting ready to do the show, it's amazing how little actual information there is about this. There's certainly strong speculation that no one's denying that Davis is gone, but at least of this morning before the show began, I haven't seen anything since then. I don't believe anyone's outright confirmed that Davis is definitely not coming back, although that's the expectation here. And no one seems to know why that is. There are a number of rumors that no one seems to want to confirm, but, but certainly on the record, no one seems to want to talk about why it is that Davis, after a few weeks in the job, is now apparently stepping away from the job. But when you couple this with Derek Mason, who also left for the Oklahoma State job, we told you at the time, under normal circumstances, not, that's not the kind of thing that typically happens in the SEC, nor should it happen in the SEC. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State is not really a lateral move from Auburn. It's a step down there. And so for someone like Mason, former head coach, 
take something south of a lateral move makes it seem like maybe he wanted to get away from Auburn for some reason because no one has come out to say that that Harson wanted to move off from Derek Mason. You better believe that if there was any attempt to spin this in favor of Auburn, that's what somebody would want to do, and yet the fact that didn't happen in the Mason situation speaks to a couple of things. The, the inability to spin that positively and the unwillingness of anybody around the Auburn program to, to want to do just that. Now, here's the Austin Davis thing as well. Guy who would come to the NFL and come from the NFL, come down to Auburn, now stepping away. This is really weird. This is very, very weird at Auburn right now and probably worth following a little more closely. I would certainly expect Ryan Harson to still coach this season, meaning this upcoming fall. But you got to wonder beyond that how a guy like this sticks around there if he can't even convince coaches to stick around. He's lost tons of coaches, tons of players to transfer portal. Discount that if you want because everybody kind of has. But, boy, there is not a lot of stability at Auburn right now. It just seems like the whole thing is is just not really being discussed very much. Jackson Dart, former USC quarterback, has landed officially at Ole Miss. That's one of the dominoes to fall for the quarterback thing. We're still waiting for Caleb Williams to announce his intentions. Is the Wisconsin thing with Williams real? We don't really know. Is the USC thing still a foregone conclusion? Don't really know. But Dart is now at Ole Miss, and so – a pretty big get i would say for the rebels and an example of obviously lane kiffin trying to pick up where he left off with the success that he had with with uh matt corral now trying to do the same thing with jackson dart so dart in the fold there for the old miss rebels and this will be one to watch to see you know how it fits in with the with the rest of the transfer story and uh you know a little bit of a changeover there for old miss changeover in coordinators you know, a little bit of that kind of thing going on, but but obviously for a team on the field under Lane Kiffin that was pretty successful, that is probably worth uh, paying attention to. We'll make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean today. I'll also mention as we head towards Wednesday, National Signing Day. Seems like Georgia, and there's a lot of really cool stuff on social media about this over the weekend. Seems like Georgia made a pretty good impression on Andrew Paul, the running back out of Texas. I don't know how I tell you. I didn't even know who Paul was five days ago. I mean, I just, I'm not going to pretend to, to be anything other than I am. Uh, but, you know, seems like he had a very good senior season. His stats are eye-popping. I mean, eye-popping stats. I guess level of play becomes a little bit of a question there. But the stats themselves certainly speak highly. Um, he puts himself on Instagram of himself, you know, at the hotel. And then he had a lot of pictures of him posing the national championship trophy. Uh, it seems like Georgia did a pretty good job. And if you want to establish credentials here for the kind of back that he is, Sounds like Georgia battled Clemson down to the wire for him as, or I should not say this in the past tense because I guess it's still going on. Georgia is battling Clemson down to the wire for him. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing there on that, that if you're beating out Clemson, who as Jeff Sintel reminded us on Friday, does not currently have a receiver running back, does not currently have a running back in its 2022 class. um, You know, that gives you an idea of, of the, of the level of recruiting win this might be. Georgia wants that second back. Apparently, Jordan James uh, wants to go elsewhere. Maybe he didn't feel the love after not really being able to sign with the dogs in December, and who knows what's happened since then. Maybe a lack of communication between those two parties. Georgia still wants that second running back, and Paul we're getting acquainted with, at least some of us are, and you find out, well, you know, maybe Georgia beating out Clemson here for services, that maybe that's an example of that. But one way or another, it seems like Georgia did make an impression and a positive one 
on him there there uh, this week. So uh, really good stuff. We'll get back to Golden Shoe tomorrow. Also tell you Gatorade or Updater, lousy stinking Gators, 4,771 days since they have won a national championship. Always like to remind them of that. Also, Gator Hater Countdown, 271 days from now. Georgia gives Florida another loss. Love doing that there as well. National champions stepping into Jacksonville, strutting their way in, putting a beat down on the Gators after that. So uh, good stuff, and we'll make that today's edition of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, have to admit, we had a little bit of an audio issue today. You probably noticed that during the regular show. Things were just different than they normally are. It's also going to prevent us from doing a podcast cool down today as well because of a number of reasons. So apologies for that, but we'll look forward to getting back to that tomorrow. And as always, appreciate you being with us here. Hopefully back in normal format tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Make sure you check out RS Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. And, of course, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Look forward to talking to you then.